All right, today we have the split sermon brought to us today, of course, by Doyle Carter, entitled The Reason for Our Hope from 1 Peter 3. Mr. Carter. There we go. Sound okay, Rick? Do I sound okay, Rick? All the way on. There we go. Better. Sorry, bad enough. I haven't spoke for a long time, so. <laughs> Let me get set up. You never think you would think I would leave my cell phone at there, but there's a. But in this case, it's to keep me from actually speaking too long. It took somebody in this congregation to tell me that there's a stop clock on this thing. I had no idea. I just use it for alarm. So I learned something new today, uh, yesterday. Well, I picked the topic that I picked because today I want to consider what, uh, what Peter wrote to us, or wrote in 1 Peter 3.15, where he actually says, okay, be, but sanctify the Lord in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you of, of the, a reason of your hope that's within you with meek, meekness and fear. With the holy days coming up, I thought this would be a good, good thing to go ahead and review because as we're about ready to enter a time when we're going to be reviewing these hopes. And, it, and we need to be ready to give an answer. For example, there's a lot, life, even though my dad says life is good, life does have a lot of trials, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, we have various trials like at work. Uh, on that one Friday, I had a really bad day. One of these uh, workers chewed me out all over the place and did whatever, made it a very miserable day. Um, it goes from there, from traffic to recently in Facebook, we just got a prayer request that somebody just lost their job for the holy days. They took the hit of going ahead and losing that job for the Feast of Tabernacles. They just made a prayer request that their husband will go ahead and find a job. There's a reason we, we deal with all these problems, our health issues, our, our financial issues, our car issues when the cars go down. There's, we gotta, it, there's something beyond this life, beyond all these problems we run into. And this is what I want to cover today. Just basically, why do we handle our pitfalls of life, primarily? As it says in, as it says in 1 Peter 1, 23-24, and Brian don't have to go to it. It was just a side reference scripture I had here. It says, all flesh is as grass, and all glory of man as the flower of, of grass. Grass withers, and, is, and its flowers fall away. I picked that because we're all temporal on this planet, as we stand, we get older. It's like, like I did when I went to uh, jab my dad. Just a little humor in this. I jabbed my dad. I was 30-something years old. He was talking about retiring. I asked him, how does it feel to be 55? And he took a minute to think. He was on the phone, so it was silence. He said, well, son, I feel like I'm 25 years old, but I do feel the aches and pains of 55. But he, and I, now looking back, I'm almost 40. That's enough on that one. I'm in my 40s heading toward that, and I go, oh. <laughs> I don't know if I asked that question out of being a, a 
out of just jabbing or just a general question, I would suspect it was jabbing him. But anyway. So as you can tell, the first thing I'm going to approach is eternal life and resurrection. That is one of our hopes that Christ, that God gives us. To go to, to is my one, my, one of my references in that, I'd like to go to James. James 1, 12. I'll just read on, yeah. See, give me just a moment. Yes, I'm using my old veteran Bible. This is a good example. This is what my grandmother gave me in 1980. It is 30-some-odd years old. It was brand new at the time. I've already had to repair the spine. I've already had to do a lot of stuff. Like our bodies, we get it, it's deteriorating, so do we. But God does say, or uh, J James does tell us in 1.12, Blessed is the man who endureth, endureth temptations. For when he, has been, when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who he loves him. We have been promised a crown of life. We've been promised life. He doesn't alliterate too much there on that one, but I know a place it does. I was going to refer to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. Paul, to encourage the Thessalonians, who apparently have been going through a lot of trials because they just learned the faith and it wasn't, they weren't being accepted and there was a lot of problems at that time. We actually have a lot easier compared to them in some ways. Yes, I wrote them all. I actually have them all printed down, so I, I cheat. <laughs> Basically, it says, Paul, to admonish or encourage the Thessalonians of their trials, said, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, which according to a lot of the commentaries have passed away or died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope, so he mentions that no hope there. And can you continue down to verse 15? For this we say to you by the word of our Lord, that we, have, we who are alive and remain unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ will by no means precede those who, will, who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall, will rise first then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus shall and thus we shall always be with the Lord he uses the resurrection as a way of encouraging the people who are going through the tribulation, the stuff they're going through with their tribulation in, in, in uh, Thessalonian, or in, in Thessalonica. Yeah, I can't speak. Because in the promise that they will be with their Lord for always be with the Lord is a great promise to have. Talks about the resurrection. He uses that life. Wouldn't it be nice that when the resurrection comes, and we actually get to uh, be in the clouds with them, and we get to meet the ones we've lost in the church. I'm, just as a side note here, I remember a man named Mr. Noble who used to be in Springdale, Arkansas. 
it used to be he's passed away many years ago. But he had a stroke. He lost his wife and some other things. He was always a happy man. And he took to this promise. He was always looking forward to the resurrection when his wife will be in the first resurrection with him. Because his wife was in the church. He was in the church for like 30 years. He was looking for that hope. And he was always, he, he, no matter what happened, like they went a trip with Merle Hawk and it was like 115 degrees in the car. You asked the Hawks, it was a miserable trip. You ask him, he said, eh, a little hot, a little warm, big deal. <laughs> he had to deal with a young man at night, in 1986 at the feast, too. He made me promise when I first went to the feast that I would have fun. And when he dealt with somebody who at 19 came in at morning at 2 o'clock every morning. So, I mean, he endured a lot for him a lot. And, he, and one day he, I asked him why, and he said, because of the promises, the resurrection as one of them. Also, if you are taking notes, the other, another place to go, and I wasn't going to use it due to time, was 1 Corinthians 15, 50, and 54, where, it meant, where Paul uses the same basic formula to encourage the Corinthians, where he sat there and talked about, spoke of that this mortal must, must put on immortality, the corrupt must put on incorruption, so that we can enter the kingdom of God. Which is the, which is my other point. We seek a kingdom. Our hope is not just the resurrection and be with Christ, but we are. There's going to be a kingdom. This hope is a, is. A, this is not a new hope. I was debating if I was going to use Hebrews 11. I'm going to go ahead. This is not a new hope. For we know in the Old Testament, they had a similar hope. How much they understood, I don't know for sure. But I know they had the same hope because in Hebrews 11, the writer, which I believe is Paul, it's in dispute, but I believe it's Paul, writes in Hebrews 11, verse 13, he says, For all, all as in all, he mentions, he mentions Abraham, Moses, and all them, all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say these things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had, call, had called to mind the country that, from which they have came out from, they would have the opportunity to return. 16, verse 16, But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country, Therefore God, is not Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he, is, he has prepared a city for them. What this is saying is he's, the faith chapter, as you know, speaks of the people, our forefathers, Moses, Abraham, David, and all them, and speaks of them as, as if they had their hope. Their hope was, and they knew, that there was a city God had planned for them in the future. They knew that they, as it says in here, embraced them, confessed them, and they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They recognized that we're just temporary. Because we only got so many years here. I've already passed uh, halfway myself, but dad's passed beyond. But of course, dad's in good shape, though. Hey, so. But that was the hope they had. So I say that because it, it feels unusual 
to hear the sermons about eternal life and all that when I was 20 years old. It did not sink in until I hit my 40s that, yes, time does fly and you do change. The kingdom has a lot of good promises for us, to go back to the topic. It has a lot of good promises. I refer to Revelation 20, verse 4 and 5. This is referring to the future, but nevertheless it does apply to them as well as us, assuming we are not part of this future, which you don't want to be in. Revelation you know, has a lot of stuff in it. And it says in, in verse 4, and I saw, so John saw, thrones, and they sat upon them, and ju judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who were beheaded, and I don't, beheaded and would not worship the beast, and to continue on in the middle of that, and they, those who were sacrificed, who lost their lives for Christ, they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, millennium, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years was finished. This is the first resurrection. It says, blessed and holy is he who has, been, who has part in the first resurrection. The first, being part of the first resurrection is very important. And I'm going to continue, but I'm just going to say anyone who, anyone who is in the church should, know, should really take it a blessing that God has called us because it's great blessing that we've been given the hope of eternal life, the kingdom, and such things as that. And here's why. Just to give, over such the second death has no power, so we don't have to worry about death again. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This doesn't explain, uh, let me get my thoughts. That would be a glorious time, the thousand years. I stalled because earlier when I was actually practicing, oh, you didn't know, I was, I was here cleaning the building last night, and I actually practiced for an hour up here. <laughs> I may act nervous, but I, I, you know, I practiced it. Yes, and I, and I think Ron sent a text when I was in the middle of all that, and he said, who, who said hallelujah? I said, in my broom. Vacuum, would be, vacuum cleaner would be too loud. But we would be given a chance to, be, to rule with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. I was actually thinking about that. What if God said, okay, I'm gonna, you're going to rule with me. Now, let's say we were mentioning Syria. Syria is in an uproar. I'm going to teach you how to righteously handle the situation. I do that because sometimes we all react. I have knee-jerk reactions, what should happen, what shouldn't. But, but he'll teach us how to righteously go down there and be able to settle that out. How would you like to go into an inner city and be able to correct that? The, the kingdom gives that option where we're going to teach people. We're going to be, as it says here, we shall be priests of God, teachers, teachers for God and Jesus, of Jesus Christ. We will be able to teach the people. So the, our hopes, our reason for hope is not just for us. It is for those around us, those who want to help. It is more than that. And we, of course, want an eternal life for us. I mean, you know, I, my dad, like he said, feels 25, as I told you earlier. He likes to 
always be 25 and be able to go in and do anything he wants. But, and we all drive for our life. But the kingdom of God is also for when we come in, we're going to be kings and priests. We're actually going to help the world in bringing peace to the world and being able to teach the people. That's a hope I actually drive for. And I couldn't resist throwing an Old Testament scripture in. That's what I mean. That's why I stalled at first. I didn't have it. There's nothing here that explains exactly what would happen. So I decided, common one I know, is to go to Isaiah 2, 1 through 4. This time I'll use my veteran Bible, not my notes. And it says, and the word of the, the word that I, Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Israel and Judah, or Judah and Jerusalem, college there. And it came to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord shall be established on the tops, on the top of the mountains. In my understanding, mountains, it's implying nations of the world. And it shall exalt above the hills, and all the nations shall flow into it. And many shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, and he shall teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And to continue, and he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many nations, and they shall be... This part I really like. And he shall beat, let's see, I'm in my head again, head of the game. Okay. And they shall beat their swords. And you can change that to guns. Change their guns into something productive. Maybe their tanks into plows. I've heard that in a sermon. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war, war anymore. The way I view the kingdom is a time when there will will be peace on earth. It will be ruled by Jesus Christ who will actually teach us how to have peace and live together in harmony. I'm sure there will be issues, but, you know, humans have issues, but nevertheless they will be dealt with in a righteous manner, in a just manner. That's a hope I actually hold. And you may wonder, because I actually didn't mention this, as my final scripture I didn't mention anything about Christ. I thought he said it perfect in one of his, in the Sermon on the Mount, what he wants us to do right now to prepare for these hopes. Okay, good. In Matthew 6, because I prefer Matthew for some reason on that, 31 through 33. So just to, re just to cover the review, we would see the hopes is eternal life, a resurrection to eternal life. That we, I don't know what the heaven, our bodies will be like, but they got to be better than what we got now. Because, I mean, if, if Christ could go through walls and be up in heaven in seconds, that's got to be better than what I can do. I can barely crawl, go across my house in two minutes. So, and I know that's not going to get much better as I get older. <laughs> so, and I've heard Dad already warn me about that one, too. Says, yeah, it won't be as easy to get up in the morning after a while. 
Jesus says, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 31 and 30 through 33, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For all these things the nations, Gentiles, nations, seek. For your heavenly Father knows all your needs. He knows what we need. You know, he can take care of us. So, and Jesus said, but first, seek ye the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So in this life, we are, from what I'm understanding this, we are to seek his, the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, and he will take care of the rest. We're in good hands with God, so whatever befalls us. We're about ready, as I, we were talking in there, we're about ready to enter a time which is very joyous, the holy days. In five days, we will be back again for the Feast of Trumpets. This month is going to have a lot of review. This is just an overview of the hope. I mean, Steve, Steve uh, last week went into how we'll be the family of God. He went, and there's other hopes, other reasons for our hope. Can't cover it all in 30 minutes. This is too much. God has so many precious promises for us. It's just hard to fan them, fan them, you know, think over. But the next, this month, like I said, we're going to be going ahead and we're going to be doing, doing like a review or rehearsal. For example, Feast of Trumpets. Overall, represents the, king, the resurrection and the beginning of the kingdom of God, to my understanding. And probably has a lot of other meanings. Day of Atonement. The reconciliation of the people to God. We fast. Not a very pleasant thing to do, but we fast. Like I said, I have to blockade my kitchen. So, like I told Maxine, I used to put a chair there, but now I got a curtain. So if I run in the curtain, I got the hint. So... And that would be embarrassing, too, when they fall, so hey. We get the Feast of Tabernacles, that joyous eight days, or I'm sorry, seven days. Seven days that we actually go to our respective spots, and we hear sermons about the kingdom of God. And like Hebrews 11 said, we're, we're tabernacling, or tabernacling as in we're, we're uh, strangers on the earth. We're pilgrims. We get to review that, and there's a bunch of other meetings. And like I say, that's what will be covered at the Feast of Tabernacles. Then the last great day, the one I really enjoy because it'd be nice one of these days to, I'm getting ahead of myself. Basically, it's the resurrection of the rest of the dead, which I didn't cover at the moment. That's okay. It covers the rest of the dead. Where I can talk to my grandfather one day. His stuff will be destroyed. I'll have to recreate it, I bet. But either way, I can sit with him and say, hey, Grandpa, I'm your grandson. He'll probably go, huh? <laughs> he never got to know me. He, he died in 1956, according to my mom. He would have loved to have known his son. He was, and it's funny that when he died, he actually was worried about his family more than anything else. He said death definitely made a change in his life. He used to worry about all this other stuff, and then at that point, he worried about his daughter. I get to tell him, hey, if I'm, if, assuming I make it, I get to teach him God's way. And he was a very intelligent man. I think he'll kick in right on top. I, to conclude, I encourage you to take heart in the promises and the reason for our hope and internalize what you learn from the feast, from the sermons we're about to hear in the next few days, just in your personal Bible studies. I encourage you to internalize, to go ahead and study so that you can be ready always
to give an answer to everyone that asks you for the reason of your hope. And I hope that you all have a wonderful fall holy day season.